You're listening to the Tour Station Western League podcast with Ian Knockholz and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 39 of the Tool Station Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds. Now, I'm not joined by Tom Hiscott today. I've given him the week off, so I am podcasting alone. I'm home alone. I am the Macaulay Culkin of non-league football podcasts. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that we haven't got a fantastic episode of the Tool Station Western League podcast for you this week. Two interviews, three gre- three guests for the price of two. And we kick things off with um, a visit to Nowsey and Tickenham. Now, of course, Nowsey and Tickenham are the side uh, that secured automatic promotion from our first division into the uh, Premier Division. And I thought it was only right and proper to give Nick Stedmond and Jamie Smith a new name for the podcast. And um, they're the co-managers of Nowsey and Tickenham. I thought it was only right to give them an opportunity to bask in what is a fantastic achievement for them. Of course, a club that last season was playing its football in the Somerset County League and next season will be competing in our Premier Division at Step 5. So um, hats off on again and take them off once more to Nick Stedman and Jamie Smith. And also we will be hearing from the irrepressible Martin Cassidy. Of course, Martin is the CEO of Ref Support, an increasingly high profile organisation um, that gains headlines across the national media, but um, an organisation that the Western League have been closely associated with for many years now. We have a great relationship with Martin, so it's always a good, it's always great to get him on uh, the podcast. Um, and um, it makes it, whether you love the whistle or loathe the whistle, it's always an absolutely enthralling listen whenever Martin um, discusses uh, issues to do with match officials. Um, So I hope you enjoy um, both of those. One quick piece of housekeeping. Of course, there is another game left to play this season, would you believe it? The season that just keeps on giving. It is our very own Les Phillips Cup Final, the Les Phillips Cup Final for 2023. And that will be taking place at the ground of Tiverton Town. That's Ladies Mead. And um, uh, Shepton Mallet will take on Helston Athletic in that final, being played on Saturday the 13th of May. It's a three o'clock kickoff and it's cash on the turnstiles. Adults are £8 and concessions are £4. Under 16s go free. But we'll kick things off on this week's episode with the interview I did with Nick Stedman and Jamie Smith. Um, congratulations again to Nowsy and Tickenham. And I started by asking Jamie um, for his reflections on this season. Proud is probably the word that, that springs to mind the most. Um, I think when we came into the, the season, we we had expectations, of course. Um, we knew that we had a good team. We knew we had strengths. We had belief in what we wanted to do. But I guess, you know, if someone would have said before the start of the season, you know, you're going to go up in an automatic promotion scenario, um, we would have been very surprised. I think we we knew that we could could have a good go. And I think when we spoke to, to various people before the start of the season and in the early stages, we, we sort of said, you know, we, we, we aren't coming up to make up the numbers. And I think that we kind of surpassed that, that type of mindset, I guess. Um, as the season went on, we, we kind of stayed. I think people wrote us off a little bit, probably towards after the first couple of the months, a uh, couple of months, just in terms of maybe they're just riding on the crest of a wave and all that, that sort of stuff. Are they going to drop off? Are they going to lose a little bit of form? But, you know, thankfully, we, we kind of stayed there and, you know, held, held our ground and kept picking up points, you know, home and away, which was um, which was unbelievable. So, yeah, 
going back to your question, really, really proud, um, delighted with with you know, the overall outcome. Now, Nick, um, you went, of course, from the feeder leagues last season to um, step five next season. That is a huge jump for any club. Do you feel that you're prepared? I suppose it's a, it's a million dollar question, really. Um, uh, preparation is is key in in all areas uh, of football, but I mean, until we come up against the first team for the first game of next season. Um, <sighs> That's when I know if we're going to be prepared or not. We'll certainly do everything that we can necessary to be in that situation or be in the best possible place we can. Um, but, you know, we, we, we've done it this season in regards to, <clears throat> as Jamie just said, funny enough, that we were maybe underdogs. Um, people didn't really think anything of us, but we knew what we had in our armory. Um, so... <sighs> Again, we're going into to next season with the exact same mindset. Um, yes, massive jump, but that's down to, to us as managers to make sure that we've got everything ready to go on and off the pitch, um, which I believe we will have. Now, Jamie, we're not just talking about a jump in class in terms of the opposition that you'll face, but we're also talking a significant jump in travel. Uh, and I know that the Western League are obviously hoping that the Football Association can come up with a resolution to the travel distances. That was certainly the plan going into this season, and we hope that it will be resolved next season. Next season is what it is, but I guess you'll be very keen to see that particular issue resolved in the following season, if you're able to sustain Step 5 football. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, just a bit on the travel, I suppose, <clears throat> there's been lots of talk about that. This season, from our, our point of view, we we just wanted to push on, and we decided that we want to still try and get there, which is what we've ended up doing. Because I think, you know, if you if you kind of want to stand still, it it, it leads you to go backwards. And we we want we took that in mind in terms of the additional travel, um, and we know that it's going to be a big challenge for us as managers, uh, the players, and the club itself. But um, we nevertheless wanted to, to kind of crack on and, and push ourselves and, and go for it. But yeah, of course, if the FA were able to come to a situation where, you know, benefits clubs in terms of reduced travel or costs and that type of thing, fantastic. Um, but we're here to to try and win, win games. Um, and naturally that should lead you to higher leagues with a bigger geographical area. So we, we've gone into this whole project with that in mind. Um, Otherwise, as I say, you kind of stagnate. And, and I don't think as a club, that's something that we want to do. We're, we're quite forward thinking. Um, we're, we're doers. Um, we've got a big committee of 12 who were fantastic. And they've, they've been right behind us for the whole season. And I think whilst there will be a lot, lot of challenges, we believe we can we can overcome those and, and keep moving forward. I mean, just out of interest, Jamie... Do you have a thought about sort of what's the biggest challenge? Is it about the cost of, of getting around the clubs next season or is it actually about convincing your players that sticking with you when perhaps they could, um, you know, they might have an easier time at the step below the step that you've just come from? It, what, what, do you have a feel for which is going to be the biggest challenge? I honestly think it is a combination. I think if our chairman was on the call, he'd certainly be talking about cost, which is which is quite right. Um from our perspective, we've got that additional challenge of you know maintaining um, players, bringing players in. But I think we we've got to look at it from a, an overall perspective of what we can actually offer at Nelsie and Tickenham in terms of the club, in terms of um, the ethos, the enjoyment factor, 
um, and obviously looking after people. So it, it all kind of matches in together. Um, but I think probably the travel from a um, instant point of view is the one that comes to everybody's mind because that's the one that's spoken about the, the most. But I think, again, as I said before, it's something that we can collectively look at and overcome. We're going to need a bigger squad. But I think we've just got to be creative in in terms of how we actually go into some of those longer games, for example. And a bit of advice that I've, I've always kind of thought about is other people can do it. So it's kind of one of those things where it is achievable. You can you can have a successful season with the additional travel. There's been clubs, you know, at our kind of size that have have ma- managed it, um, and that and that's what we're going to try and do. Um, Nick, you mentioned earlier in the interview that you know you perhaps won't really know what you're coming up against until that first game um, next season. But on the flip side of us moaning about travel. Um, and player availability is there also the prospect of a challenge that you know yourself and Jamie have never faced before there's every reason to believe there's every expectation that you'll be coming up against a a better quality of side than you've ever played before a better player better managed better facilities so is that almost an incentive is that something that spurs you on for the challenge next season yeah absolutely Um, I think myself and Jamie do have very high standards um we even did when we were were, were in, in in somerset county um we always tried to raise i suppose the profiles um but also the players i mean from from, from our point of view it's <clears throat> bringing players in that can develop that can progress um you know and said that from from day one if we can bring players in that gives us a season, uh, two seasons, and then goes on and plays at a higher level. Fantastic. We know we've done our job. <clears throat> it was all about supporting people and making them better. And I think that was where our passion come from, seeing people succeed. Um, and outside of football, Jamie and myself are both in senior positions within the, the work that we do, and we manage people on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I think that's also played a huge factor in it. Um, but it is, it's managing people in the right way and delivering certain messages in the right way. And yes, we're going to come up against um, better, better players, better facilities, uh, more experienced managers. But I think we're confident in, in, in ourselves that I'd happily go toe to toe with, with anybody in and around this kind of level in the fact of backing our own ability. Um, and I don't want that to come across cocky whatsoever um it, it's more on the, on the confidence and our, our track record so far um but yes it's going to be very interesting to see what we come up against um but also it's feedback from the players that we have managed uh the supporters etc that they've given us as well um which gives us confidence in in going into to, to every single game knowing that that we will compete we're not going to be going into that that league next season to be a number um, or trying to stay up, we're going to be going into challenge and, and I'm confident that we, we will make it work one way or another. Now, before we get too carried away with next season, we should have really have a, have a reflection on, on what's gone on this season. Jamie, um, what, what when you look back on this season in the first division, what teams that you came up against impressed you the most? Most of them. <clears throat> most of them. Um, genuinely, I think um, the step up in, in level from, from the year before, as, as Stead mentioned there in, in the county league, you know the fitness and the strength and the individual quality of a lot of a lot of players that we've faced has been been really really good. Um, it's been really impressive, and I think 
you know, you've, you've got to look at those teams that came in and around us. And there was, you know, the top three that was there most of the season. Obviously, Brislington and Wells were both excellent, excellent sides. Um, Wincanton, Shire, and, and I liked FC Bristol as well. I thought they had some great players. Um, we had really good entertaining games against them for the neutral. Um, luckily, we, we came out on top, but I think they were a good side as well. I can't really sit here and go, well, you know, we've turned up at, at certain places and they've been dreadful. I think, as I said, everyone's been um, been challenging. Um, we found it really enjoyable in terms of how competitive the, the level's been. You know, we faced Bishop's Lydiard on the, la the last game at home. Um, they, were, they were excellent. You know, we, we really... Um, we really did well to get the win in that game, and um, you know they were struggling down at the bottom. So it, it sort of just showed um, that no, none of the games were easy. Um, but again, it, it kind of shows how well the lads have done in, in only mm. losing six games um, in, a, in a tough kind of league with what was it, 42 games. So we were really happy with uh, with the overall kind of results. Obviously, with Brislington unable to go up, um, you get the automatic promotion place. Does that make your sense of achievement this season feel more special or, you know, uh, to, to achieve automatic promotion in any season would be an accolade uh, in itself. Uh, uh, but doing it as runners up, does, does that do you have any regrets about that? Obviously, everybody would go into the league liking uh, to, to win it, to be champions, of course. Then, obviously, there was talk about four teams were going up. So, you know, our, our aim was we just got to stay in that top four. We got to stay in that pack. And then obviously with the leagues um, not being able to compromise on certain issues, then we heard that, well, tops going up and then second, third, fourth and uh, fifth would go into a playoffs. So in our heads, we were like, right, playoff position. That's where we need to be. And then another <laughs> obviously message come out saying that Briz weren't going to be going up whatsoever. So second would be going up so then that was basically really out of us and wells um and it come down to the last few games of the season um which again our aim was we've got to get second we've got to do what we can to get second it, we dropped two points against bishop sutton i think it's the third last game of the season and we thought we threw it away um but a couple of teams done us a favor against wells wells obviously had a dip in form the last few games with with not picking up any wins um which obviously pushed us up, up into second so me and Jamie had a conversation with the committee and the chairman at the start of the season and said, you know, top six, first season in the league, let's let's hit top six. If we can do that, that's that's a fantastic achievement. But as the season went on, you're kind of then thinking, I'll tell you what, we can we can hit third here, we can hit fourth, top four. Imagine that, amazing. And then we're in the top three by a country mile. So yeah, you you obviously want to go and and be crown champions. And and there was stages where. We were looking very, very strong at the top of the league. Um, but, you know, all due respect, Brisbane are obviously a, a quality side with a big budget, um, which obviously helps massively. Uh, and they, they won it by, you know, 10 to 12 points, I think, in the end. Um, but for them to not be able to go up, it, it's not my club. It's not my, my, my kind of decision, really. But my opinion is kind of, well, is that just a nothing season for them? Um, do they want to stay in this league? What's going to happen when when they are eligible to go back up? What what do they want to do? Um, but really, that's that's none of my business. Um, so it it's an amazing achievement to come second. Um, and in our eyes, you know, we wanted automatic promotion, and that's what we got. So we couldn't be be happier, really. Uh, Jamie, this is the first time we've had you on the podcast. And normally, when we get people on the podcast for the first time, I, I ask 
them to tell the listeners a little bit about themselves. So can you tell us a little bit about your footballing journey to the Nailsy and Tickenham dugout? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so um, it's interesting in terms of the mergers and stuff like that that's, that's happened in the club. So I'll just go back to probably when I started playing in, in terms of Nailsy Junior Football Club, which was um, actually started by my granddad, Len Smith. Um, it's coming into the 50th year of that, which is fantastic achievement as well. Um, but then, you know, I moved to um, Winscombe. So I played County League um, for sort of Winscombe until I formed um, Tickenham United. So half of the current club, um, I guess, with some uh, with some friends. Um, we just wanted to play from, from an enjoyment perspective initially. Um, so we actually we formed a club um, and we moved our way through the league. So I sort of played and managed for, for Tickenham. Um, and we did that from sort of 2007, 2008 until um, we'd reached a point where we were at the, we were ground sharing with Cleveland Town at the Hand Stadium. And it was a case of paying quite a lot of money in rent and things like that. And the opportunity came up that Nelsey Town, um, just down the road, had had facilities. We had a good club structure and, and we, we got together. And that was when the, the merger happened between Nelsey Town and Tickenham United. Um, so I sort of I was player manager for all of those all of those years, and, and when we first merged, I, I was the manager of the, the reserves, who are going really well now in the um, Somerset County League. Um, won a couple of promotions with with the reserves as well, which was great. And then the opportunity came around to to take take on the first team with Nick, um, you know, two or three years ago, which we um, which we jumped at the opportunity, and um, you know we've had the success we've had since then. So it's kind of it's kind of been an interesting career of mainly being a, being a manager um, from a young age, but playing um, throughout that time, mostly until either you kind of sacrifice yourself because um, you need a player to play <laughs> or they're better than you, <laughs> which, which happened um, a lot towards the end as well. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of in a nutshell. Well, you, you, I think you're the first one club man that's actually managed to be a two club man I've ever spoken to. So that's quite an achievement. Um, Nick, um, if we look ahead towards next season, I, I appreciate it's still very early doors. But I mean, what are your aspirations? What do you hope the side can achieve next season? To compete, um, to to be noticed by a wider audience, to get the the, the club's name um, on a wider kind of spectrum. Um, again, that helps with regards to sponsorship that helps with coverage and I think we've, we've, we've done that very very well this year um, we always want to go about football and business in the in the right way we want our club to have a, a, a good name um, and you know having that opportunity of, of playing step five football next year um, for a club that's that's only been established eight or nine years is is amazing um, and we want to tell everybody about that we want to let as many people as we possibly can uh, know about the journey um, and, and how hard everybody's worked within the club to get there. Off the pitch, as Jamie mentioned, that the, the committee, um, the volunteers that we've got are incredible. Um, I don't see many clubs that we've played against have the amount of, of support that we've got. Um, it's a real good community, should we say. Um, and then obviously Jay and my my focus have been on the pitch and, and making sure that we're we're winning games, which which we've done very well. But you're kind of be coming up against some very very good teams this season, so we're going to learn a lot. But we've got to learn fast, um, which 
I think we, we will do. We, we're very adaptable, um, but it's it's also adding quality. Um, it's we're going to have to add new faces to to the team. Um, and funny enough, you know, uh, Jay and myself are actually meeting a few players tonight um, to, to to get the ball rolling, really, with regards to to kind of next season and, and what we can bring in. But also the most important thing is keeping what we've got. Um, the guys that have actually got us here, the lads that have, have committed week in, week out. Um, and we had a good squad of probably about 19 to 20 players that were available pretty much every week. And they understood their responsibilities and their duties. And if they were on the bench, they understood. They were fine. They just responded very well. And, and that's where we had a lot of success because what we noticed this season was teams had a really good 11, good 12 players, but then the lads coming off the bench weren't as effective. Whereas what we had was the lads that were on the bench were just as good as the ones that were starting. Um, and it balanced out extremely well. Um, so it's going to be key to be able to produce that again next season. However, it's going to be a lot more difficult, especially with those, those long distance away days down in, you know, to the Cornish and, and Devon sides. So um, I think communication is going to be key from from ourselves um, in delivering what we want to try and achieve, but as a collective um, and not as individuals. So the work starts now. We don't really get a, a break, should we say, um, as managers, but we're both 100% committed to it. And, and it helps that there's two of us because we share the workload. Um, so it, it, it does work well. So plenty of challenges, but I'm confident that we'll... Um, We'll do, we'll be all right, Ian. Put it that way. Um, I'm confident <laughs> in saying that, but I won't say much more on expectations of standings in the league, shall we say, just yet. Well, I think that's not entirely unreasonable. And one <laughs> thing before I let you go, Nick, though, you 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 hit upon it in that response where you talked about the people that have made this promotion possible, and obviously, I'm sure you want to pay tribute to your players, and you know, I think you'll probably want to give each other a slap on the back for what you've achieved. This season, but obviously non-league football at any level wouldn't operate without the people who make the clubs what they are. So I guess this is a great opportunity to perhaps reflect upon some of the people that have made your promotion possible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it starts at the top. Um, Bob Gregory, who, who's the chairman, um, he's down there every single day. Um, blood, sweat and tears. He puts everything into that club. Um, I've never seen an individual so committed to doing something. Um, but uh, he again, he couldn't do that without John Murray, who's I would probably class him as like a director of football, really, the treasurer as well. Um, but they're the two guys that are there every single day. Um, and then again, you've got the, the committee, so you've got the likes of Alan Smith, Gary Ricketts, um, Al Parsons, and Rich Lucas, who are part of, of the management team, as well as the committee, uh, cameraman, uh, and press with Paul Harden. Um, then you've got again Gary Ricketts, Paul Clark. Um, I don't want to have I missed anyone out, Jay? Come up for committee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Bolsher. Yeah, Bolsh is our secretary again. We wouldn't be there with, with without him. So there's there's such a large collective just on the committee. And then you've got to think about the girls in the kitchen um, that do a fantastic job every single week. You know, we wouldn't put food on, we wouldn't be able to supply that if it wasn't for for, for them. Um, and then obviously the volunteers, so the guys up at the gate, the car park in attendance, the, the guys that get the ball boys, Kev Burgess as well, uh, who's, who's huge on on sponsorship and delivery and ground maintenance. Um, it, it 
they all go a long way. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the the lads who are, are there week in, week out, you say, oh, some people say, oh, the lads just got to turn up for 90 minutes and play. But our lads are there at training every single week. They then chain, clean up the changing rooms. They put things away. They, they're not just there to play and then eat their food and, and, and move on. Um, it's it's a real it's a real nice club to be at because everybody gets involved in certain things. And we've got our um, our annual fundraiser coming up called Thriftable, which is a big festival uh, on the 27th of May. And you know it's a working day. It's 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 all day, um, but all the lads work it. Um, that you know, and, and you wouldn't get that. So they could be behind bars, they could be do on security, they could be on the barbecue, they could be on the on the stage, but they go, they come and work it. They want to work it because they know it makes money for the club. Um, and I don't think you get much of that the the higher you go up the levels. Um, you know, Western District and County, yes, maybe because it's large groups of friends that have known each other for years. But as as you go up the leagues, you've got to obviously attract players from further afield and they might not have as close relationships off the pitch. Um, but we've managed to do that and it, it, it does go a long way. So, yeah, hats off to them. And, and obviously I, I mentioned, you know, this job is a lot easier with, with two of you doing it. And, and Jamie and myself seem to just click. Um, we have done for, for a number of years now. So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't be prouder of what we've achieved so far. And, and I think this is just the start of the journey, Ian, if I'm honest. Um, we've got a lot more to give yet. Now, I'm going to give the last words to Jamie because I think this was a question that I asked you many months ago, Nick, when, when we first got you on the podcast because it's always very exciting for us to get new clubs onto the podcast. And one of the reasons for that is that we want to, you know, we it gives this a new ground for the supporters to visit. It's a new team for the players to play against. Um and, uh, and and we're going to have to go through that particular process next season. But I'm going to let Jamie um, sign off by getting in early. So for those listeners who support Premier Division clubs, Jamie, um, can you can you sell the match experience, the match day experience at Nailsy and Tickenham? Can you sell <coughs> us a day out? At <clears throat> we can way? certainly give it a good go, Ian. Yeah. Because, in fairness, it was something that, that Nick alluded to in terms of the volunteers, because... One of the things that, that we've tried to do at the football club coming into this season is to put on excellent hospitality to supporters that want to travel and watch us, to local supporters, um, to the opposition, to uh, the opposition committee, to the league officials. And we've, we've really, really worked hard um, to, to try and do that. And I think the feedback from the people that I mentioned there, those different, different groups, um, has been excellent. It's been really positive in terms of um, the match day experience. So the, fir the first thing I'd say is, is our ground down the Frith Way is, is, a, is a lovely location. It's, it's fantastic views. We've obviously worked hard to improve the facilities over the, the last five or six years, which we've done. You know, it's still a lot of work to do down there. However, just in terms of the, the kind of setting, it's a, it's a, lo it's a lovely place to, to come and watch a football match. Um, moving into the kind of the hospitality side of it, we've got we've, the, some of the stuff that we've added down there is, is sort of inclusive of a, a committee room, um, the, the clubhouse and the bar. We've got the stand now as well. Um, we've got the cafe, as Nick Nick talked about there, in terms of um, putting on lots of different bits and pieces for, for people coming down. But I think overall, it's just friendly people. So people will chat to you about football. People will watch the game. You know, there's just some really good local supporters that have backed us. All the way this year, um, they've they've put their kind of hand in their pocket when we've needed it in terms of 
trying to support us um, through the gates for, for some of the big games. You know, we had Bath City and the Cup, stuff like that. But just in general, um, what you'll get is a real friendly welcome. Um, you'll get a nice place to watch, hopefully an entertaining game. Um, if we can keep up our sort of goal scoring record over the last couple of seasons, then then great. That's another another bonus for people to come and watch us. Um, but I think they'd just I don't think they'd be surprised to, to see, you know, lots of friendly um, non-league supporters that have come down. We've had lots of new people come down this year in terms of groundhoppers all over the country, which has been great. Um, and I think we do try and we do try and put on that experience that that people can go, do you know what? Like they're really trying, they're really working hard here. They're really working to to try and win, obviously, but they're they're also trying to look after people. They're also trying to make it a decent place to come down and visit. So um, we'll continue to do that. Jamie, Nick, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations for what you've achieved um, on the pitch uh, this season. It's um, a truly remarkable debut season. I'm, I'm not entirely sure I ever remember one like it, um, but I think we'll all be watching with bated breath to see how you get on next season. <laughs> Cheers, Ian. Thanks, thank mate. If you're thinking, Toolstation, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you. Now for our interview with Martin Cassidy. Now, just in case there are those out there who are listening who don't know who Martin is or what Ref Support is, I started off by giving Martin an opportunity to introduce himself and the organisation he represents. We are the first registered charity that supports referees independently from the FA. Lots of people laugh and say, oh my God, what do you need a, a referee charity for? And normally the people that say it are the ones that we're, you know, we're looking out at because they just think that referees are fair game for way too long. The game's being spoilt by people who just think they can say what they want on social media, say what they want during the game. And, and you know, the, the loudest voice and the squeakiest wheel got all the oil. So we made a conscious decision. There's four trustees um, that, you know, we all talk about what we're going to do strategize-wise. We do many, many things away from social media. We're not just a Twitter account. And um, we do a lot of support with referees who, who don't want to go public with the challenges they're faced. We're all very, very different. You know, we made we made a concerted effort to start going back at clubs on social media, individual individual people on social media. We've had pops at County FAs. We've had pops at, at the FA. We've got a really positive relationship with the FA now. Which, which historically we haven't. It took, you know, they were really defensive when we started going. And we were stuck in this sort of nowhere land for a while where referees were thinking, do I engage with them? Because they're always giving the DFA loads. And then we had people who were coming to us saying, well, you say this on social media because the FA haven't done this and, and I've, this has happened to me. So we realised very quickly that we could help clubs, referees, county FAs get their messages out. Uh, which has now turned into, you know, we're the biggest social media platform for referees. You know, on Twitter, we just got over 17,000. The FA's own referee accounts, if the whole country's only only got 18,000, and they've been going six years longer than us. So we know there's people out there who are interested in the messages that we're doing for various reasons. Some are interested to have them pop back at us, and some are interested because they like what we do. And it's turned into, like, a really positive organisation with regards to helping others 
you know, we do the kit bank where we support referees, grassroots level. We do mediation when referees get in trouble for either not doing the reports right or getting in trouble themselves for social media posts. And we also help clubs. Clubs come to us and say, I've had this report and I believe the match division was lying. Can you give us some evidence and blah, 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 blah. So we do lots of that. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on underneath the profile of social media for what we do. And, and we're really proud of, of our connection with the Western League. All the trustees have, have all come through the, with the Western League. Jenny Frampton, one of the first women to get to higher levels, same time as Wendy Toms, of the old I remember. She's our chair. I come through the Western League, the whole the whole lot. I've done refereeing, lining, assessing, uh, coaching. I did do assessing for a bit, but I didn't really like it. Um, Dave Brammer, who's everyone knows about, he's a, he's a board member. Uh, and Richard Mellon, who used to be the fixture secretary for the Western League. So we've got a real... Fondness and affiliation with the with the Western League, and and of course, I'll always say this: the the Western League were fundamental in changing world law when they came out and supported our body body count trial. So, so yeah, so obviously we do a lot. It isn't just a Twitter account, but we we obviously we want to reach out to clubs. You know, we go to clubs. I think I'm not sure you were there when we did the managers forum. We've done a few of them where managers get invited to come up on stage with us, few referees. Invite anyone we want, referees, fans, players, and we all have a discussion about what we want from a from a match day experience, from a referee and player point of view. So, you know, we haven't done any post COVID, but we know we we will do so. And it'd just be great to get you know that engagement going where most people involved in football will watch a game that they're not associated with. Even I do it with Liverpool. Sometimes I'm watching Liverpool, I shout at the telly. But when you're away from the partisan side of, of you with that team or that club. Most people tend to agree with what the referee's done. The 90-odd percent, they'll get right. So I always found that interesting. And I think what we'd love to do with the Western League is do situations where we got video clips and we can talk about video clips, why it was a red, why it wasn't a red, why it was a penalty, why not. And I just think that'll be a really good education piece. So, so yeah, so it's really good. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Excellent stuff. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the body cams because that's something I did want to come back to later in the interview. But... Normally, when you and I speak, it's because it's around a particular issue, whether it's a you know it's a serious assault or something like the body cams campaign, or even changes in the law. But I just thought now um, I'm I'm glad we've got you on this season because we didn't get you on earlier, so the, the 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 listeners haven't missed out on you. But what have you been campaigning on this season? What have the big issues been, um, particularly in grassroots football in this season? Well, one of the things is pushing the messages. We we did a paper to the FA about. Um referees who are 18 and under and and why when you when you threaten and verbally abuse a match official heaven, heaven forbid hit them and they're 18, 18 and under we don't think that message that you know this is a, a safeguard and this is child's welfare here that we're talking about so we, we did a big piece a while back that we hear now that they actually the FA are going to bring it into place things like if if a match official sends off a manager or a player, they can appeal it, and then the referee's got to sit there in front of the these people and get they get questions. Well, that's that's against safeguarding processes and procedures. If that referee is under the age of eighteen, sometimes there's fourteen year old referees sat in a room getting questioned by adults, and there was no support often. So there's a real big identification piece. So that that's been big on it. I mean, just look the FA going to really 
they, they said over 18 months ago they were going to publish these guidelines around the paper we did with one of our ambassadors, but that, that hasn't hasn't come. Going public with regards to the kit bank, like I said, that's that's really positive because you know people can't afford the kit, and you know it's we want more matters just to come through, and we don't want finance to be a barrier to that, so we do a lot of that. And and we we've paid for a few courses this year that um, referees who can't afford to take the course, we've paid it for them and. Off they go. And a lot of referees are a bit embarrassed, so you don't really want to talk about that publicly. You don't want us to say, "Oh, you know, they pay," because people are embarrassed about that situation. But we do lots of positivity around that. The the big points that's been in the national and international press is is there's been three big things. One is the um, the two meter rule that came in over the discussions. What's happened with Mitrovic? What happened with uh, Andy Robertson? So. Um, we always had this idea that there should be some form of exclusion zone. We, we visual it like, you know, it's a beauty of man, he's on that circle. And he can't go in that circle, whether it's like, you know, a metre or two metres, whatever. But there's no, there's no like, barriers to stop a match official and uh, a player coming in contact in, in, in a way that is deemed aggressive or abusive. And I think that, that's, that's got mega legs. That's when all over the world, did interviews all over the world over that. On the back of the Mitrovic thing, what what Mitrovic did was completely out of order. You know, we said he, there's, there's advice in the FA guidance with regards to if you do threaten a Mitrovic in the way he did, that's a 182 day ban. But for some reason, the FA has got a different punishment level at pro level than they have at lower down. So if that happens at um, Western League level, that should kick in at 182 day bans. And if you look at some of the punishments that, that people pu- published out there, then the recent one. Which is I've got a lot of stick over this from my own family. Is a Liverpool fan. Is is the, what happens at Jurgen Klopp when he ran he ran to the fourth official and celebrated that uh, that, that goal, didn't he? And that was just out of order. And you know I was always getting stick when I was having to go at uh, Solskjaer and I had to go at Warnock and all these other managers. They say no, you're only doing that because it's Scouser. And um, so obviously doing it to Klopp had the other other effect. But all the Liverpool fans are coming at me saying you're a disgrace, you're a Judas. But, you know, Klopp has turned into this sort of Mercedes version of Neil Warnock. Do you see what I mean? Where he's just, he's just, he's just turned into this pantomime character where he wasn't when he first got here. So, breath of fresh air. I was born and bred in Anfield, but I moved down to the, to the south, in the west country, uh, 33 years ago. So I've been down here longer than I, li- I lived in Liverpool. But my mummy family used to live in Anfield or live by the ground, so... To see someone like this acting like that, it's it's hateful as, as a Liverpool fan, and, and and I've got to be able to say publicly that it, it's out of order because I'm not buying this passion. Like a lot of people say, even at grassroots level, oh, it's passion, it's passion. Well, Kenny Dalglish, Bob Paisley, Shankly, Fagan, they were all passionate about football, just as passionate as Jurgen Klopp, but they aren't doing the antics that he's doing. Do you know what I mean? So I, I don't buy this passion, like. But I just think that's that's still a piece that's coming out now because he hasn't been he hasn't been charged for it. And then when he got banned the first time, we wrote to the FA said, "Look, you don't you, you found him thirty thousand pounds. That's about a day and a, and a half to wages for him. That's, that's impact. You need you need to appeal that and 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 ban him. And he did. So got a bit of stick over that. But we've got to be consistent in in what we talk about publicly. If the behaviours of these managers that, that are there and. That's, currently, that's that's ongoing. Where we we genuinely believe um, that there should be a harsher punishments for that behaviour. 
not specific to, to Klopp, but any manager at that level who rants and raves and does that. There should be a, an escalation like the ours in every, every discipline process where you get to a point where, look, if you do this again, we're going to deduct points from you. Now, in in Ireland, you've already got that in place. And a matter of fact, got assaulted, got his ribs broken, unfortunately. Really sad to see. Of course, on video, we, we posted a video. That team got deducted 10 points. Absolutely. And, and the player who did it appealed, believe it or not, because he got a five-year ban. But because he appeals, they put the ban up by another two years, which they're allowed to do within the, within the, uh, the FA policies, procedure and process, same as England. So, yeah, there's lots of going on with that. We, we've said it directly gets reflected down, down what's happening um, at grassroots level. But then we've had an incident where a match official got a pipe thrown over him in, in the Western League, which was a public. Western League were amazing, stepped in straight away because he was in his car and he threw it through the window. Uh, and it went all over the car. So it's obviously got electrics in there, you got the seats, you got his suits. Western League st- stood up immediately because they've always been brilliant supporting the Vries. So we'll pay for the cost of all that and we'll, we'll get off the club. So it'll be interesting to see what develops on that. And, and three different people from different parts of the West Country contacted me direct through our hotline and told us who it was. And we've advised the referee, go to the police. Go to get the police involved. Because Nigel, Nigel Farage got a got a milkshake thrown over him. And that lad got done for criminal damage and assault, I think it was, or com- common assault. So that's what the realms we're in here. So the club involved, they know who they are. They don't step up. Then I think that the, the, I'll, I'll advise the referee to get the police involved because we just can't have that sort of behaviour, particularly at the Western League level, from our point of view, which is the closest league to our hearts and our intentions. It's an interesting point you make there, Martin. Can you, because one of the things that the listeners won't understand about necessarily is the process that, that goes through when an incident like uh, of, of assault or, or, or abuse um, happens. So the incident that you've just described obviously took place, as you mentioned, in a car. Yeah. And most of the stuff that we've spoken about over the years, and indeed the, the example you gave about the broken ribs, I assume that was during a game. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, and I, one of the things that interests me, and I, I don't know whether this is relevant to the FA process, is where the game begins and where the game ends. Yeah. And whether, yeah. and 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 I would assume as a layperson that the end of the game effectively means that football law is superseded by public law. But can you explain to us perhaps what the what's the procedure? So if an incident happens and, and a complaint is made and a referee has been abused in some way, either in in the game or you know out as they leave the football club, what's the process that happens? Well, the process is you you, you report that to your to the FA or the county FA. Different levels of football it goes straight to the FA, or does it goes to the county FA? If the FA think the county FA think, thinks it's a serious incident, it goes up to the FA serious case panel, which this one should. Um, and interestingly, it's a point that we don't agree with the FA on, is that once you sign up as, a, as an affiliated club or an affiliated player, you don't step out. You literally do not step out of FA regulation. If you're doing stuff up in the supermarket and you threaten a referee, that referee knows who you are. You can get done for it. We've had it. So I disagree with that because one of our ambassadors got charged because he wrote a letter to a club saying, we know you abuse referees. We've got it on video, but you—you—they were found not proven on a case because the FA wouldn't allow the video evidence. We're going to go and watch you, and we're going to video you again because you're in the public place. It was a strategy we used. Well, he got charged. He actually got charged, even though we wrote it and the ref supports email and said I'm an—I'm told he was an ambassador because he was a registered referee. 
he got charged. Well, I defended him. The FA had a barrister on, on the panel. I went up to Manchester and and I, I represented him and we won the case. We won the case because I said, he he if he was a police officer and did exactly the same, as a police officer email address, are you telling me you could charge him? And they said, yeah. They said, yeah, he could. So of course, got the police involved, police had said, I'd love to see them do that. I'd love to see them do that. So we won the case on the fact that we clearly identified that he was an ambassador for a registered charity. We clearly identified the right process because we went to the FA nationally, we went we went um, locally, and we went to the league, and we went to safeguarding as well. So we followed all the pro policy procedures and process, so they couldn't use it against us because we'd done what they they told us to do, really. So the answer is you don't step out of FA, FA re regulation. You really don't. It's, it's outrageous. So players need to remember that. Players need to remember that. If they have a pop at a referee over the game or something he's done while he's refereeing, even on a, in a supermarket, even in a pub, they can they can get charged for it. I, I still think that the Lord of the Land should take precedence over the the laws of the game. I, I've said that, but it doesn't. You can one of the cases we we put up where the lads caught on video got beat on the on the floor. The FA mitigated mitigated the fact that he'd had a ten year ban, so they said we're only going to caution him. It was, it was another case called Satyan Toki, I think I talked yeah. to you about it. Three punches in the face. The player said, oh, I'm going to lose my job. I'm, you know, I want to be a professional footballer, blah, blah, blah. And um, so they said, oh, OK, we're not going to take this call. We're going to give you a, 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 a caution because the FA banned you for 10 years. And then he appealed against the 10-year ban that got reduced to five years. So that's a really good example as why the police should go first because... You can't mitigate anything, and that mitigation that they were using got lessened by fifty percent. Do you see what I mean? So I think in anything that involves an assault or serious serious abuse like that, the police take over. And I think leagues leagues need to have a bit more control that they can step in and go. I'll tell you, well, we're, we're going to ban him ourselves. We're going to deregister him. We can't play for that for that league, and we're going to wait the outcome of, of the police case and the FA case. I think there's this situation like that where they can where they can do it, but. The important part of what we do when we go publicly at clubs like we have in that particular case, I'm intentionally not naming them, you know, uh, just trying to be considered early, is that they got sponsors attached to these clubs. And, and, and then we could go after the sponsors, really, and say, do you really want to be involved with a club that one of their players are throwing a pint through, a, through the car of a, a window of a car? Do you want to be involved? So there's a very different tact we could use and people listening to this might think that's out of order, Bill. If these clubs aren't going to step up and say, yeah, it was one of our players, we banned them and his ears, blah, 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 then football needs to have an alternative to that. So I think strategizing wise about we do it on social media is really important to understand that, you know, you can't do these things and get away with them. You just can't. I think many people listening to this will be really surprised to hear how you've explained the relationship between what goes on within football. And it's not even on the football pitch. Clearly, what you've explained is what happens within football yeah. and its relationship with the law of the land. One of the freedoms, if you like, that we all enjoy, or one of the rights, sorry, that we all enjoy is the right to be proven. We are innocent until proven guilty. I agree. So I guess that the challenge is that if you are going to start mixing different judicial processes and the law of the land is going to say, well, we're not going to get involved in that because we consider it to be a football matter, regardless of whether it happened on a football pitch or not. Does the football process, and, and, and I guess certainly where the Western League is concerned, of course, we would expect these processes to be conducted by the county FAs. 
is is there a different in your experience is there a different threshold of guilt is there a different threshold of evidence is there a different threshold of being innocent until proven guilty uh, are the two are the two are the two systems that we you know we're, we're conflating in some respects are they are they actually different in your experience oh they're absolutely different you know this class is a civil process really with the fa and they don't have not guilty do they it's a proven not proven whereas and they're all the land that's guilty, not not guilty. So, so that's the first, the first big difference. But the balance of probability with regards to what how the FA do things, no matter how many players say this, because I find I find it quite interesting the argument of this. I think we could do a whole podcast on this. It's because lo loads of the clubs say, ah, the referee, they always back the referee. Well, I'm hearing from referees, they always back the club. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how many not proven cases there are, because I know there's a lot where something goes in front of it. And we use this against the FA because the FA say there's only 0.01% of games that involve a proven case of assault. But no, that doesn't mean there's more than that that happen. It just means that's what's been found guilty through yeah. the process. And it also doesn't take into consideration that the, the match official might have been beat up, doesn't want to report it because he lives in Bristol or in, in Cornwall, in the same town as the person who's assaulted them. So they're a bit scared to report it because they bump into them in the pub, in, which is what I mentioned earlier. So it's a massive, massive piece. And and what happens is, interestingly enough, is something we really, really don't like about it. You know, the the referee is classed as a witness, so we can't bring witnesses. I don't know if you knew that. But no. but a club can bring 10, 10 people and say and all say the same thing, and, and they'll win the case because the balance of probability is naturally in the favour of the player or the club. So the actual process... I, I feel is, is is really balanced in favour of the clubs, and it'd be really interesting to see how many how many cases are not proven in cases like this, purely because the referee at best has got two linos and a fourth man, fourth official and a fourth man. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I think we could probably do a podcast just on that. But I mean, if you think about this season in comparison with previous seasons, now there's a couple of things going on here because, of course, we've had COVID, so. Famously, mm. we didn't really play a lot of football over the last couple of yeah. seasons, and also your your footprint, your um, the reach of ref support has grown. So I would expect more people to now be engaging with you than they have done in the last few years. But do you have a feeling in your water whether or not incident incidents of ref abuse are getting worse or are they getting better? Definitely getting worse, and and it looks like they're getting reported less. From what we from what we're happening from because the FA is saying oh it's still only one no point one percent but we're we're getting twice as many calls three times as many calls even on our hotline when we first launched it four or five years ago we had more calls in a month in a month than the FA had in a year about assaults and these people were telling us they'd been assaulted and reported it so we know we know this disconnect we absolutely know and interestingly our profile what we've got there's only one county FA in the country that promotes us. None of, the, none of the others do. None of which I always find, and the FA don't. So when people say, oh, we're all, we're all FA orientated and stuff like that, we're not, we're fairness orientated. We want to be fair to the clubs, we want to be fair to the referees. We're in this sort of area, like I said earlier, it's no man's lands where we'll have a go at, at the FA, but we'll also have a go at a club or even sometimes a referee. We actually went on records about the incident with Paul Turney and, and uh, Klopp. He walks right into Klopp's face. Right, and he was almost poking him in the chest. Well, actually, three weeks earlier, we're saying it should be in a two-metre zone exclusion. So, I mean, so we'd be advocates if we didn't pull that up and say, actually, that isn't a really good image, that. 
for what for what so we're always very fair in what we've done and and like i've said there's clubs who might be listening to this now in the western league and there's a few who have come to me direct for help in regards to what happens with a match official who's done something because again we've got to be fair that some match officials do make big mistakes some match officials do have an attitude that we don't think is conducive to a positive relationship with clubs we know this right down to how some people claim expenses and we've had lots of little nuances where clubs come to us and says this lad's charges from home but i'm not i know he, he works down the road he's come straight from work Do you know we've had these sort of incidences in there which which you know we help clubs and, and we're there to help clubs free of charge we really do there's, there's some wonderful wonderful people involved in, in in all levels of football and talking about the western league here you know some of the lads i referees and now higher echelons in clubs some of the managers now moved on to chairmans who we used to deal with you know there's an absolute loads of people that I can engage with who I, I would treat them as real fair, honest, hard-working people. And it's not fair for them to be treated, you know, in a manner that we might deem unfair because a referee has done something untoward or has done things that happen, particularly when money's tight. So, you know, the majority of matter, which I believe are real honest, straightforward, but there is always going to be like in any element of any society where there's people who could do better and, and should do better. Obviously, one of the sort of the highest profile elements of what you do is the stuff you do on social media. Um, and I know you've always been unrepentant about the fact that for too long, referees and match officials have been abused. People have been entitled to an opinion on their performance, but rarely, um, if ever, before, you, you know, your intervention were, was the other side of the story ever heard. And I think there's a lot of, um, I've got, I've, I've certainly got a lot of sympathy um, for that approach, but I've found particularly over the course of this season, social media has become a more negative place than I have ever known. And I'm just wondering whether that's your experience as well. Are, are you finding the, are you busier than you've ever been um, in, in terms of sort of, you know, calling out some of the, the criticisms? Yeah. That, you know? yeah, we are absolutely 100%. And I think more and more people, and I don't think VAR has helped, you know, Honestly, I know this sounds ridiculous because VARs is not that down at the levels that we're talking about currently. It's this entitlement to, to have a go. VAR was brought in to help a match official. Now it's a tool to beat them up with. If you get it wrong, you're absolutely castigated. If you get a spot on, then you check it the VAR, this guy got it right. You know, the, the, the one with what I brought up, which again caused a bit of a stare on social media, was the when Klopp first got that ban, for having to go with the line, there was a photograph of him screaming down the assistant referee's ear, Gary Besick. He was the one that disallowed the goal for the equaliser on Saturday just gone. So I put a tweet out. Oh, did you know that? That assistant referee who got that decision, right, to disallow the goal, uh, which would have been an equaliser, was the same referee who Klopp got banned for, for, for abusing. Well, they all got this. What's that got to do with it? What's that? You know, we, we let's all praise someone for doing the job right. Well, no, what was evidence was, if you get it wrong, you get it battered. If you get it right, no one says a word, even though it was a real tight, match defining decision. And that's the hypocrisy what's in football, which is why we do what we do. And then immediately after that, another lad, another uh, lad tweeted about um, the referee was a disgrace and should never referee again. In their game, they did. They lost 5 0. They lost 5 0. He could not equate the fact that he's blaming a referee and they lost 5-0 when I challenged him about it. How many goes to the ref score? How many goes to the line-out score? He then blocks the account. 
that's what we we're happy that we, these people need to recognize that you've gone on too long having ridiculous pops at mass officials which stops people coming into the game we have less people coming into the game and then the standard is diluted because you got less to pick up so all these people who, who were crying about the, those standards of referees rubbish the next week the battle referees on 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 social media and then they're tweeting about mental health how important mental health is which we agree it is really important to have we got mental health health and ambassadors and first aiders and then the abuser referee name and shame them is if like everyone's mental health is important apart from this matter officially just give a dodgy penalty against us it's this hypocrisy is why we know it's working because loads of people come to us and then people apologize if you remember willens i know they've gone up to this they're in suddenly you know, aren't they? the yeah. great western league club loved loved everyone at that club really because they let someone tweet and the first six tweets were having to go with the referee. We we pulled them up on it. Chairman apologised, publicly apologised, because it was a, a student or someone that was tweeting. These people who are tweeting on official club accounts have got to understand that their views, whether whether right or wrong, are the view of the club, not that person sitting there tweeting at the game. And, and that's important. And I get the other way around. I get people questioning me, is this your opinion? Yeah. And I said, well, my opinion of, of, of abusing a referee I guarantee you it's going to be the same same as all the other trustees. So I guarantee you. But when someone sat in there saying, you know, that was never a penalty, referees are disgrace and shouldn't referee again on a club official Twitter account, that's not that's that's not a good a good look for the, for any club, is it? Taking good clubs like the Willens in this world and all the other Bridgewater Town have got big day coming now. You don't ever see them giving it loads on on their Twitter accounts. And other clubs, the Hallands in this world, you never hear nothing about Halland giving it loads. But some of the clubs seem to the, the default setting is we get a beat one nil. I find a reason why that's the referee's fault. You know, it's just it's, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I I know from my own experience that sort of looking at this stuff online, it takes a toll. And you've been doing this for a while. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, are, are you disenchanted? Are you are you? Because you, you seem, you know, certainly from this interview and and again from your activity, you seem to be sort of as up for the fight as ever. Absolutely, more than, more so because what is definitely happening. I'm, I've got some of the highest profile journalists who, who follow us, engage with us and, and praise us. We get people on, on Talk Sports, on Five Live, Sky News, even invited me on to Sky News a couple of Saturdays ago. Been on Sky Sports News a lot. I've never been on Sky News. They did a piece with me on there, which was really well received. And I'm going to be going in the studio talking about it. It's a different audience, Sky News to Sky Sports News. These people understand what we're trying to do because I'm I get a, you know a smart ass tweet off someone or Whatever that I, I I say I'm not going to answer it, and one of the reasons I won't answer it is because they might have four followers. But and then they'll say, ah, look, he can't say anything because he's got no answer, and I know what the answer is because I'm getting twelve or thirteen, fourteen messages privately saying, carry on, thank you, thank you so much for doing this. I had an eighty-five year old ref who emailed me said, I've seen you on Sky Sports News. I wish I had you when I was refereeing, and I'm getting people to me now saying, I wish I had you, someone. It will put their heads above the parapet. There's an organisation, not just me, I mean the organisation. Put their heads above the parapet and go, that's wrong. And here's what you need to do about it. And we believe that, although it's a negative thing we talk about, whether whether people disagree with what we do or not, it gets discussed. It gets the Even these people who are having to go out, there's people who will never agree with anything I say, absolutely, because I've said something to them on Twitter in the past, I'll pull them up over an incident. It gets discussed. It get, And it never used to get discussed, ever in the public, it was tucked away in the corner. And now the FA and these other county base, they can't control the discussion like they used to, not reply to an email or not publish what's happened. 
now it's there. I'm, 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 and we're growing and we're bigger and bigger and bigger. But all these journalists and broadcasters engaging with us, it's not ever going to go away. And that is that enthuses us as an organisation to keep going. We've got sponsors coming to us now so we can give free things away. Uh, FedEx have given us a loads of bags, like hard plastic cups, little balls, pads and pens. And we want to be able to give it to people to have, have positive engagements about referees, which this team had. So we sent them up uh, 20 bags, big kit bags, Champions League logo on, 20, 20 baseball caps. They're absolutely delighted. They're absolutely made up. Some people are coming to us saying, oh, you know, I didn't know you'd do this. And we said, look, if we start tweeting more and, and discussing more about a positivity within refereeing, this is what we want. We'll, we'll give you gifts. We'll talk about it. So nominate a referee who, who comes to you in the grassroots and does the line every week, not, not rain, sunshine, whatever club linos. Those are the people that help referees. Let's get that discussed now. So we're starting to shape the arguments to still talk about the not, the not so positive stuff, but to bring positivity via a negative subject. You know, there's lots. There's 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 a lad. I don't know if you see. Did you see the Australian bit, mate, where the lad got his his jaw, his jaw broke yes, in Australia? Did. So I reached out to him. I found him. I talked to him now every other day. See how he was. So what I did then, I started going to our, our other referees in our group, saying, do, "Do us a favor, give us a video. Just do a ten second video on WhatsApp. Send it to me. I send it to him." This group so big, so many videos. This lad's absolutely delighted. And then because I do work with Mark Lattenberg, he sent me a video. So he was overjoyed that Mark Knattenberg went out of the way to say, listen, Colter, I've seen what happens, that you got your jaw broke. I'm thinking of you. Reach out through ref support, and if you need anything, we're there. You know, that's the positivity of a, of a negative outcome, and that's why we do it. That's exactly why we do it. I think our next conversation does need to be on a more positive bent because it's very easy for these interviews to sort of go down quite a dark road. So I'm really pleased that you brought it back there. Just before we let you go, because I'm very grateful for the time that you've given us. Um, we obviously did last time we did an interview, we talked about the body cam campaign and um, you mentioned it at the beginning of this interview. Um, where Can you give the listeners an update on where are we with the introduction of body cams for match officials? Well, that's now, there's a law change. The, the FA are doing the, the world's first ever body cam trial, and that was helped by the Western League, standing up and saying, we, we'd like to be, we'd like to participate in it. But the FA haven't chose this level of football to do the body cam trial at. It's all for referees who are on their own. The body cam trial is now taking place in four different parts of the country. Uh, London, Worcester, Liverpool, and North Rising. It's been going on for a, for a, a few weeks now. We're having lots of positivity about it. It's um, and that's a world change. Do you know what I mean? This is something that our campaign with the aid of the Western League raised it to such a, a profile that the FA went to the IFAB, who's, who's a section of FIFA, really lawmakers, to bring this in. And we're just there. There's so much positivity about. See, it's it, it's a double-edged sword, mate, isn't it? Because if nothing happens, they're going to say, "Oh, do we need them?" If nothing's happened, that hasn't caught anything. But as nothing happens because you're using them. That's why nothing's happened. So massive, massive success in, in what we're hearing back from the FA and other people involved in it. Clubs engaged with it really positively. That you know, let's be honest, there's more there's far better clubs and positive clubs than there is negative ones, but the negative ones are having a more of an effect. So, like we know if the you know the body cameras isn't all about referee abuse. I said that from the start, from the very start of this campaign. It's about addressing all forms of abuse, 
racism, homophobic abuse, anti-Semitism, any form of abuse, a body cam will deter it and will make the game better. If it's a more enjoyable game, less abusive game, more people will come to watch it, particularly at grassroots level, with, with spectators that are a huge part of, of the community as well as the income. So we just couldn't see anything, you know, bad about having a body count. And of course, the uh, the referees, you know, some referees have been caught out not talking to players properly, it's wanting to play it up, but it's never be proved. So obviously, It'll, it'll uh, referees, if they are talking to players inappropriately and you don't really know about it, the tone or whatever, then that'll get picked up again. So the referee's behaviour and how he, he or she talks to players will also improve. So it's just, just a win-win, do you know what I mean? I just think it's great. And again, we as an organisation, we'd be forever grateful to, to the Western League for going public with that letter and saying, oh, we'll have a go with this as well. So I think the next escalation will be bringing it up to a level of football where there is three officials, you know, a, a reference and two linos, and then see again how it works there, which it's, it's going to be the next natural step. It's going on end of the season and then the whole of next season, and then the data will be fed back to see if this will be allowed at any level again, which, again, I don't think there's any reason not to. If it, if it can, mate, if, if it can, one of the things I'd like to um, talk about is the Western League Cup final. Uh, Every year, it's been going on for a long time. Um, the referee in the Western League Cup final, which teams might not know about this, that he receives or she receives an award, which we just give the Western League, the shield and a trophy. It's called a Mike North Shield. Mike was a football league referee who came through the, the, the Western League. He was in our association um, with regards a big, big friend, lovely, lovely man. And um, he died on the pitch, he had an heart attack. A heart attack at South End, and um, and since then, to you know, is a is a token of remembrance. Um, and to perpetuate his name in, in the game, this award is there, and it's it, it's that full now. The shield, uh, that we're actually putting shield badges on the back of it now. It's been going on. I can't remember the exact date, but so forgive me. But if anyone looks at it, the Mike North shield, it regards the referee Mike North who who died on the pitch. You know, it's another great thing that the Western League do for match officials that is always under the radar. So, you know, look out for that at the Western League Cup final this year. It's uh, another wonderful thing that the uh, Western League do um, in regards to supporting match officials. So thanks to the Western League for that. Well, I'll certainly look out for it. I'll be there on Saturday. Martin, as always, it's been incredibly engaging. We've covered a lot of ground. You've given us a lot of time and I'm incredibly grateful to you for that. So thank you very much. And I look forward to catching up with that next season on the Tool Station Western League podcast. No, thank you, mate. So all, the, all, the, all the clubs in the Western League have a great pre-season. Enjoy the rest and all the best for the, for the coming season. Thank you for your time on this episode of the Tool Station Western League podcast. Probably a little bit longer than you're expecting, but um, I hope you enjoyed listening to both of those interviews as much as I enjoyed doing them. Normal um, service will be resumed next week when Tom and I take a look back on the 2022-2023 season and, of course, reflect on that Les Phillips Cup final. Just one last reminder, the Les Phillips Cup final is taking place on Saturday, the 13th of May at Ladies Mead, the home of Tiverton Town. It's a three o'clock kickoff, £8 for adults, £4 for concessions, under-16s go free. And you've been listening to the Tool Station Western League podcast.